The Long Box Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. Love them. I've got this giant collection of movies that I have collected for a long, long time. And then I broke into the Long Box Crusade headquarters and I took over all their movies. And now I have a bunch of people come over and they tell me movies they haven't seen and I tell them to watch movies. And yeah, 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 yeah. That's the way the show works. And it's just boring to talk about that. But what's not boring is to talk about our new guest, because we always have a new guest every episode. And this time, I've got Kathy Bright. And who is Kathy Bright? Well, she is a super fan of the Longbox Crusade Network. She is like one of their number one fans. Somebody else was their number one fan, but she wrestled that title right out of their hands. Is that about right, Kathy? That is exactly what happened. You know, girls, girl wrestling. That's what every, you know, podcast needs, right? <laughs> I am not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> No, I I have enjoyed your interactions with the Longbox Crusade. I recently heard you on Action Film Face Off, and you just seem to have a lot of fun doing this. And I thought it would be fun having you on this show, too. So how are you doing today? I appreciate that. That is a very big compliment because I know you have a lot of podcasts under your belt. And that was my first one. And I enjoyed it a great deal. So I'm very happy you welcomed me on to yours as well. You did the action film face off. And so the obvious question is, do you like movies? I <laughs> love movies <laughs> to the tune of, I know you have a very big collection. My personal collection is probably around the 550 range, 600 range. Yeah. It's so. it, physical media. It's enjoyable. Yes. Well, and I, I talk about this a lot. I love the digital platform because, mm-hmm. you know, easy access is amazing. Not being able to have commentary. I'm such a geek for audio commentaries on films. Like, you know, you see the $4 bins at Walmart, but if it doesn't have an audio commentary, I'm like, eh, do I really want to buy the DVD? I'll just buy it digitally then. So No, I agree. I agree. A lot of the extra features that are on DVDs, the commentaries, the short little featurettes, some of the behind the scene things. I enjoy those. I enjoy watching those. It gives me a little bit more perspective Absolutely. on the film and the filmmaking process too. Exactly. I'm, I'm the person who has watched all four full length extended version commentaries on all the Lord of the Rings films. So. You know, I knew there was a reason I liked you. I knew there was a reason I liked you. <laughs> and I try to do that once a year, too. <laughs> That's good. I like that. I like that a lot. We talked a little bit just before we start recording, but you, there are certain genres you don't like. What genres do you like? Probably my biggest is fantasy, action, thriller, pretty much. Well, I guess it's easier for me to say my bottom choices. I will still watch, but I don't go to those would probably be Westerns, full-on war movies, Mm -hmm. unless they're more modern war movies. And oddly enough, chick flicks, as in, I mean, I love a romantic comedy, but like the ones that I know I will be balled up in the fetal position crying, I stay away from those at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't, if I'm not expecting it to be like that, then I'll go in, but If I know that it's going to be, you know, a tear fest, you know, like we discussed, Mm -hmm. I've never seen The Notebook and I will never see The Notebook. I just refuse to watch that movie. (laughs) My wife finds it hilarious that there are certain movies that will affect me that I will start crying on and they don't have to be, you know, tear fest or anything like that. They're just films that I will get choked up on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sports related films. I am not a sports fan. I'm not a sports fan at all. But, you know, you put Rudy on the film and. Rudy on it. I'm 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 tearing up near the end, you know. <laughs> miracle, miracle on ice. <laughs> 
that is honestly a movie I have not seen, but I was not going to put it on this list for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I've met Sean Astin and he is one of the sweetest humans in the world, but I just can't bring myself because I know I'll be a basket case. Okay. All right. I, before we move on, I need to ask about this because I happened to glance at your Twitter account today and you posted a picture of you with Kevin Bacon and you just dropped, Correct. you just did a name drop for Sean Astin. Are you a stalker of movie stars? Because that's what it kind of is seeming like. I mean, you could call it stalking, but they're, well, it depends on where they're at. <laughs> Dragon Con, they're there and I pay them mm -hmm. for every moment I spend with them, right? Right. But if there is a actor turned a musician like Kevin Bacon or Kiefer Sutherland that may travel around and perform shows, I may hang out at their bus after the fact <laughs> try to get, you know, a selfie maybe. I like it. Every once in a while. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. I like your style. I like your style. <laughs> What other opportunity am I going to have to meet Kevin Bacon, right? No, no, I, I am I am all on board with that. I mean, right then and there, you are honestly, you, you just did the one degree. I mean, you're not in a movie <laughs> with him. So, you know, that's a problem. I think because I did an extra work one time, I got to two degrees to Kevin Bacon. So I, I will take that. Oh, nice. I will accept that. And, and I will hold that tight to me. But uh, you, you've got a picture with Kevin Bacon. So my... Hat off yes. to you. My hat off to you. And on that same subject, I'm actually, if you consider just being in a movie with mm -hmm. someone, the degrees, I am one degree away from Sean Astin because I am in a movie with Sean Astin. Ah, there you go. There you go. What, what, <laughs> what movie? What movie? One that most people have never heard of. It's called Mom's Night Out. Okay. They actually filmed it here in Birmingham, Alabama. So I went and I was an extra. A couple of nights I took off from work and slept during the day mm -hmm. and stayed up all night and filmed a couple of scenes. It's kind of fun doing that from time to time. Just to say that you've done it. I've done it. It's kind of fun. Absolutely. It was so much fun. Yep. All right. Let's talk about something else that's fun. And that is the movie that I am going to give you tonight. So you sent me a very nice list and I found a movie in there that, you know, you say you're a movie buff. And it is one of those yes. quintessential movie films that people should have seen. And I'm talking about okay. 1982's Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one I wanted you to pick. <laughs> well, excellent, excellent, excellent. First of all, I should say that Kathy just kind of freaked out on the other side of the video call. And that was pretty awesome looking. <laughs> as she like pumps her hands up in the air. I did. Uh, <laughs> I am holding up two copies because I have had the VHS director's cut version, but I've got in my hands here the brand new 4K Blade Runner, the final cut version that I ordered because I saw this coming. So I was like, I want to mm. go ahead and upgrade a level here. That being awesome. said, this is, of course, by Ridley Scott, Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, and a whole mess of other people. What do you know about this film? The people who are in it. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, the reason I want to watch it is because I remember when they did the, I don't know if it was considered a remake or a reboot a few years ago that I wanted, because who was, who was the actor that's in the new one? It's not a remake. It is a sequel to it. And it's Blade Runner 2049 with Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling. That's why. See, I wanted to watch that, but I had never seen the original. So I'm like, why have I not watched this? Because I mean, it's full on sci-fi, I mean, which I love. That's my other go-to that is top of my list. So I'm super excited. So you don't know much except who's in it, but why haven't you seen it before now? Why did this pass you by for so long? I wish I had a great answer, but I really don't know. 
I, it just slipped through the cracks, I guess. I've started watching it at one point, but I just, I guess I just got busy doing something else and I've never finished it. Well, now is your chance. And I'm going to go ahead and step away, let you find this. And I'm probably, once you've watched the film, whatever version you actually get to watch, because there are a few different versions, we'll talk about which version you saw and then we'll compare up a little bit of notes there. But we are going to let you go watch that while everybody else gets the opportunity to listen to the trailer from 1982's Blade Runner. Now I need your deck. This is a bad one, the worst yet. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants, three males, three females. They slaughtered 20... A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants. Manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. What's this? Roy Batty. Probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman. The Terrell Corporation. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell. I don't get it, Tyrell. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. I was looking for six replicants in a city of 106 million people. You ever see this girl, huh? Never seen a buzzer. What I didn't know was they were looking for me. I just do eyes. Just genetic design. Just eyes. Hello? I'm in a bar here now, down in the fourth sector. Why don't you come on down here and have a drink? That's not my kind of place. to die if I didn't care more than words can say if I didn't care would I feel this way if this isn't love Excuse me, Miss Salome, can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> you for real. He's a damn one-man slaughterhouse. I'm going home. are back. Now, I hope you had a chance to revisit Blade Runner 
But if you have not, or if you decided that you just really don't want to watch one of the best science fiction movies of all time, that's okay. I've got a quick synopsis of the film for you. In the future also known as 2019, humans have bioengineered humanoid constructs known as replicants to assist with interplanetary work. Replicants are designed to be faster, stronger, and more resilient than humans in order to deal with harsh environments. Because of this, they are only designed to live for a short time. And they have been outlawed on Earth. Rick Deckard is a retired Blade Runner, a man trained to track and retire rogue replicants. He is brought out of retirement to track and eliminate four top-of-the-line Nexus 6 replicants who have managed to get back on Earth. Deckard, while tracking down the bioengineered beings, is shown that the new Nexus 6 models have been designed with such an impressive AI and such intricate false memories that it is even more difficult to tell them apart from humans. And it leaves him questioning, what is the definition of sentient? So, Kathy... Your first time seeing this lovely little movie. Yes. What did you think? What was your first impression? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you picked this movie. I have, like I said, I don't know why I've never made the time to watch it, but I'm very glad I did. I had a very, very hard time believing this was made in 1982. Mm-hmm. Like this is a movie way before its time. Yes, it was. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. Oh, and I think I meant to tell you it was the final cut is the one that I watched. It was free on HBO Max. So I went with the free version. And I know someone said the director's cut. I don't know if that's different or if it's the same as the final cut. The director's cut is different. And I also read that Ridley Scott was not a fan of the director's cut, that he didn't get to do what he really wanted to do with that. We, let's talk about this really quickly here because there are different versions of this. So there was the original theatrical version, which included a, a happy ending as well as Harrison Ford's voiceover. This was not really the version that the director really wanted. So Ridley Scott did come back in 1992 and approved a director's cut, which took out the ending and also took out the voiceover and made some other changes as well. And he also inserted a dream sequence, which was the unicorn running through the forest. And then the final cut reimagined it, added in some more pieces and cleaned up a lot of it. So the final cut has kind of been stamped by Ridley Scott as this is the real version. And this is, this is what I really, really want. Watching the final cut, I was even kind of impressed because I'm like, wow, this is really cleaned up a lot and it looks really clean because I was used to seeing a VHS copy director's cut version, which had the old 1982, little scratchy, a little bit dark. I mm-hmm. think this was you know, made a little bit brighter, really pops out more on the screen. So it does look way ahead of its time now. I'm, but still, the content of the movie and the things that they had in the movie back then were quite impressive. Yeah, I, like I said, I had such a hard time believing it looked like it was digitally done in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like the the color was amazing. The crispness, like you said, I was expecting very grainy, and but it was not. Yeah. I was quite visually, visually stunning. Did it meet your expectations then? It sounds like it did. It did. I, I don't want to say I'm disappointed with this story, but it was a little slow mm-hmm. compared to the visual aspect of the movie, if that makes sense. Well, that does. That does. Let's get into that a little bit. We'll start off with the story because you mentioned it's one of your lows. So let's talk a bit about that. The, the story is 
kind of simplistic and it does unfold very, very slowly. It kind of unfolds a bit at the same pace as you would see a lot of old film noir, which mm-hmm. this really relies quite heavily on because you got the detective doing the investigating, the darkness, really questioning about what's right, what's wrong. So there is some connections to film noir, but it does take that very slow approach, which we aren't really used to in 2000s with a lot more fast paced editing. So talk about what your feelings on that were. I guess just because like you're saying, I'm so I'm used to the big blockbuster, Fast and Furious, all these like super action packed And a movie named Blade Runner, you just kind of expect a lot more. I mean, there was some good action scenes, but not, I guess, not what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And like I said, not that I was disappointed in it because I did enjoy the story. Maybe it was a little predictable. Do I want to say predictable? If that's your feeling. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of knew where the story was going, right? Yeah, too straightforward to, I don't know. There was just lots of, well, I say lots of dialogue, but there really wasn't. No. <laughs> a lot of dialogue. <laughs> and what's interesting, too, is like, like we said, one of the big changes from the original theatrical release was a voiceover by Harrison Ford. That was very much a Sam Spade type of voiceover explaining his thoughts and really getting into it, which you take that out and you've never seen it with the over dialogue. You right. have to supply your own. You have to think about it a bit more. The story is not being spoon fed to you with that. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you still were able to follow the story quite well. Oh, yeah. I really did. Until, though, I kind of immediately wanted to go back and rewatch it. I was texting a friend of mine who had watched it several times, loves the movie. And I don't know if we're going to discuss this or not, but the question of, is he a replicant or not? Ah, the age-old question. Well, but here's my here's my issue with that. It was like, I never questioned that. The only reason I knew what he meant was because when I saw in the credits what the name of the book was that it was based off, I'm like, it never crossed my mind in the movie that it was a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't, I was paying attention. Like I was not... I was engaged. I wasn't on my phone. Somehow I missed the fact that he possibly was questioning whether he was a replicant or not. There are a couple of pieces in the movie where they talk about that, where they they have things in there about saying, have you ever taken the, the test? And when he's asked that question, he falls asleep. He's kind of picked on by a lot of people, how he's kind of looked down on by, by a lot of people, uh, his own weird vision of, of how things are, how he gets questioned by people about different things. I guess knowing so little about the story in the movie, I was not prepared to look for clues like that. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. When he asked me that, and then when I saw what the name of the what the name of the book was. I was like, oh yeah, he totally dreamed about a unicorn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the old thing of do androids dream of electric sheep? And right. it, and it is one of the, the interesting questions that they ask about it. And I have never really gone into a lot of what's the real answer. And I know there's a lot of things that are, that are written on it. I was thinking about doing that before we had the conversation, but I decided not to. I've kind of got my own feelings on it. I really come away with it thinking, yes, he is. Just because Mm. of how he interacts with people. I've seen various versions of this too. And there's little things like the photographs that he's got in his apartment. He's got all these photographs. And 
none of them are new. And that's something that the one character, Leon, he has photographs that he likes to have. Those are his thing. Right. You don't know much about his past. He's very much an enigma. And they mm-hmm. don't talk about his past too much. Just his his way he interacts with the different replicants as well. And and how he can think like them and how he kind of can figure them out. Yeah, he, he interacted with Sean Young quite well, didn't he? <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Who looks that's the other, that's the other piece too. Amazing in this movie, by oh, the way. She- does she does <laughs> let's talk more about deckard what did you think about harrison ford as deckard good job i like kind of a futuristic han solo you would say <laughs> yeah 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 I, I liked him i mean i felt like redger Hauer was more of a more of the story no i guess i was more intrigued by his character than decker he's interesting because he kind of comes across as a bit of the audience surrogate. Mm. We're going through the same journey that he's going through as he's discovering more about these replicants and about why they're on the planet and, and, and how more human they are than some might say humans are. But you also are trying to figure him out as well because he's, he doesn't seem to fit. Um, he seems to be a little bit just a little bit off. Right. How did you like how he, he interacted with other people? I mean, we see him interact with... Sean Young's character, the police chief, with uh, Gaff, the character played by Edward James Almost, the one, the police officer who comes and gets him, who was always speak to him in Chinese until the end. I knew that origami was foreshadowing in some form or fashion. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that origami is going to show up somewhere later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but how, I mean, how do you think that he interacted with those different people? Low key, not Loki, but low key. Like he was very just kind of, eh, I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say. I'm not a wordsmith. I apologize. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. He, he comes across uh, very standoffish. He's very quiet. He's very reserved. You don't find a lot about him, but you go into his house and you see all the different pictures. He's got a past, apparently, but he doesn't talk about any of it. True. One thing I did pick up on is how much, obviously, the fifth element got inspiration from Blade Runner. Yeah. Because his apartment, I'm like, that's Bruce Willis's apartment from The Fifth Element. <laughs> and also, musically, at the, the song that they play at the end, I'm like, this sounds just like a song that could have been in Stranger Things. Like, it yeah. sounded like the Stranger Things. So, I can see that a lot of newer things have picked up inspiration from this movie. Yeah. Well, we're, we kind of mentioned him a little bit. Let's talk about Gaff a little bit. The character the character played by Edward James Olmos, playing a character who's only speaking, uh, I think, Chinese, I believe. He's very confrontational with Deckard. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think about, just first of all, seeing a very young Edward James almost? <laughs> it was very interesting because I've, you know, he was at Dragon Con one year and I'm like, yeah, that's not what he looks like now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I'm a, I mean, I'm a Battlestar Galactica fan. So, yeah. you know. I've enjoyed a lot of the work that he's done. And I'm one of those purists. I kind of enjoy the original. I mean, the new version was good, but. I love the original. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> that could be a whole nother podcast talking about that with Star Galactica. <laughs> he, he's interesting because he's confrontational and he challenges Deckard at a lot of turns, but we don't know why. Well, and but now that we're talking about is Deckard a replicant or not, mm-hmm. maybe Edward James almost character knows that he is. And so I don't know how he would have that information, but maybe he knows. So he feels like eh, he's just a robot. I can treat him however I want to. Yeah, he also keeps putting him into uncomfortable positions where it causes Decker to either fight or flight. I think that's part of it as well. And yet he's supposed to be helping and assisting Deckard at the same time. And 
I wasn't quite sure. Did he? My take on the ending note was that he was letting him go, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I, I read that right. <laughs> well, that's that's what I've always seen it as as well. It also adds to the ambiguity of the entire movie as well. Of what does he know? What does Gaff's character know? And you know what's he trying to do as well? I, there's I have a, I always enter and. I always leave this movie with a lot more questions than I start with. And I, and I have no <laughs> I good answers for it. It's definitely one you have to watch more than once. And I probably will. I will watch it again. And I now know to look for more clues and more detail. You know, I was focused on visually, I'm going to be honest, even down to the umbrellas that people mm-hmm. were wearing. That look. I mean, I'm going to say they look like lightsabers, but the yeah. the handles were lit up. I'm like, that is so cool. I want one of those umbrellas. They, they make sense. It's like, oh, I'm holding an umbrella and I want something to, that lights up where I'm at too. There, there's so right. many reasons for it to make sense. It's like, that's exactly. kind of a cool idea. Exactly. Yeah, the visual, visual effects in here are fantastic and just the visual ideas. Let's talk really quick before we get too far away from Gaff. Let's okay. talk about the origami because yes. that seems to be very important. Tiny little origami, little bitty. Oh, it, it's not easy. It's not hard to do. I like making the origami cranes out of like bubblegum wrappers. I, I love oh, doing that. Oh, that's small. I've never done any anything smaller than like a six by six. So I mastered that one. So but oh, okay. we, we, we have him and Gaff is making these little origami figures. It's all symbolic. Starts off with making a little one that's like a chicken at the beginning because he thinks... Deckard's, he's taunting him. Then he's got the little matchstick man as Deckard's talking about Rachel and... With a, yes, a very... Um, very phallic. Yes, I was going to say very, very accurate depiction. Of <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He shows that Deckard is very interested in Rachel. I mean, hey, she looked amazing. I mean, She, she did, it. she did. And then we have the unicorn. What do we think about the unicorn? Uh, to me, that's more... More proof that he knows that Decker is a replacement, replicant, not a replacement. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing, too. It's like he's kind of saying there's a lot of things you could try to read into that saying, you know, he's this magical creature who's who's living amongst humans, but is not really one of us. You could say he's on a quest. I mean, there's lots of different things you can try to read into that. And I, I think that the creators of the film... I've always done a good job of saying, you know, it's supposed to be ambiguous. It's what you think, what you want to put into it. Luckily, it's not as ambiguous as Inception. I, <laughs> <laughs> I need Christopher Nolan to answer that question on his deathbed. <laughs> Just saying. I, I always like the fact that you've got those in there and they're, they're telling a little bit of a story. And that's, you know, the final one is you've got the little unicorn again on the floor as he's trying to leave and he steps on it and he just, you know, partially destroys it. But then he also realizes, wait, I'm being watched as well. Uh, starts to put in more of those questions for you. And, and maybe that was his intention. He's like, he wanted him to see what it was and wanted him to question more, himself yeah. more. Like he's giving him a hint. Guess what? There's a lot more <laughs> to this than you think there is. <laughs> Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the replicants themselves. We'll start off with Sean Young because Sean Young is she's in this movie a lot. Yes. <laughs> How did you find her acting in this movie? I mean, she looked beautiful. What did you think about her acting style in this movie? I actually I liked it. It was very very introspective. But I thought I thought she did a very good job. It you really felt what she was feeling in my opinion. Mhm. Like you could read it on her face, the emotion she was going through with realizing what she was and how confusing that could be. Side note. The way that she's introduced as being an assistant and she's brought in to, to test this and, and the idea being that, that Tyrell wants to make sure that 
there's a human baseline that they can go against. So he puts down his assistant, Rachel, and she comes in. You're supposed to believe that she is a human. Let me ask you, when she came in, did you think that she was a human or did you guess really quickly that she was a replicant? I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I kind of guessed, and I think it what what it was was the hand in the pocket of the dress. Hmm. That's not a natural walking stance for a woman. I don't know why that just caught me weird, but I'm like, that's a weird way to walk around an office like that. And she did it every time she walked around. It wasn't like a, I'm just going to put my hand here and rest it for a second. It was every time she moved from one area to the other, she had her hand in the pocket. I like that. I also like a few other things that I consider a little bit like she she was trying to emulate being nervous but she wasn't really nervous i questioned when she asked if she could smoke if that was because there was a lot of smoke going on if that Uh was intentional to mess with the camera that focuses on the eye reactions and everything and that's what you think from the beginning but remember she doesn't know that she's a replicant so True. Unless that was part of something that, that they programmed her to do in order to try to mess with it. Right. I, I can't remember if, uh, because I've always, in my mind, I've always known that she's a replicant. So I can't remember back to my first time. Yeah. But I think that her cold, distant way of playing the character worked really well for the same reasons you said. That as she starts to realize what she is and who she is and come to terms with the fact that she's not human, that all of her memories are fake, she's having her own break. Oh, yeah. It's interesting to see the relationship between her and Deckard then, because Deckard, who has been trained to kill replicants, is now feeling pity for this replicant because he has seen that she is incredibly human-like. How'd you feel about that relationship and about how how she was progressing or how he was learning about what's real and what's not real? (laughs) To me, that was the only part of the movie that wasn't slow enough. Like, I thought it got too involved too quickly Mm -hmm. well i mean he's only you know harrison (laughs) ford can only do so much it's sean young at the (laughs) the height of her beauty good good point and well and i was like i'm not normally i'm not one i know when movies were made back in the 80s it's different and i'm not i'm not usually in the whole try to stay politically correct in a lot Mm -hmm. of things but i was like i was surprised there wasn't more of an issue with the scene where Mm -hmm. he I mean, he kind of convinced her to let him. You know what I'm saying? It's I think it was the the interaction where they start to become extremely close. There is some some parts of it that are a little uncomfortable. Yes. I think and, it was the the push against yeah. the wall, but he still was like, mm, I'm going to talk her into this. It was that kind of mindset. It was kind of like asking permission, but at the same time forcing himself on her. Yes, exactly. Good way to put them. And and not to say anything, I mean, this is a 1983 movie, so we have definitely a different, there's a bit of a machismo that's in filmmaking at this point in time. That Right. Normally, I can buy into that, but for some reason, this particular scene. It was very close, and it was very intense, and you could see that he was having his own. I think that you're, it was designed that way because I think you're seeing he's having his own conflict inside himself of saying, I don't want to do this, but I do want to do this. Right. This goes against a lot of what I want. It also could be because we have seen her as vulnerable as she mm-hmm. was. Yes. And that makes a big difference, too. She's not a Joanna Cassidy character. You know, I don't know what yeah. her character's name was, but she wasn't that kind of character. So, But we also see her, too, have... 
It's asking the question of us as the audience of, is it really that bad because she is a machine? But we have started to accept her as being human. And it goes back to the central question of the movie, do androids dream of electric sheep? It's, what is human? Is this sentient creature, does she really have feelings, even if they are manufactured feelings? Makes us question that what is sentience kind of question that we're having. So while his reactions would be fine if this was actually just a machine, it's not fine because we have started to question whether or not she's actually sentient. Right. Good stuff. (laughs) I know, right? Can we talk about Joanna Cassidy for a second? Sure, please. Because she freaking rocked in this movie. I know she was in a short scene, but number one, my gosh, she was beautiful in this movie. Two, I'm like, why was she not a Bond girl? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's all I could think of. When she was fighting and then her look, I'm like, she should have been in a Bond movie. And of course, we're talking about her character that was playing Zora Salome. And she was the exotic dancer with a Mm -hmm. snake, which that was a scene. Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely a scene. (laughs) This is kind of the second replicant. Uh, The first replicant is really Leon, and we'll get back to him. But this is the second one. This is the first one that he really tracks down. He's figured out where she's at by he found a little bit of a synthetic snake scale in his investigation and he also took a photograph and he's managed to zoom in and isolate a certain picture where he could see her and he could see the the tattoo on her neck and so he was able to track it down it's actually the only real police work we really see done in this but it's it's a great (laughs) little scene talk a little bit about your thoughts about her i thought she was amazing i hate that she didn't have a bigger part she tends to go out a little quickly once deckard finds her and confronts her Um, to be honest that is probably that's one of my top three scenes in the movie like i really i really enjoyed that scene It's an impressive scene because it starts off where he comes in and he's talking to her and he's asking her questions and he's trying to find out, is this really the person? And he's trying to kind of also trick her and lull her into a sense of security. And she's changing and addressing in front of him and he's kind of playing along with it. A little bit of boobies there. Um, And then she, you know, takes him down and he just get abused. He gets abused, 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 abused. Yes, he does. (laughs) It's really amazing that Rick Deckard is actually moving at the end of this thing. (laughs) The fight scene is quite impressive, though, and it takes kind of what goes all the way through the streets of L.A. in this futuristic time. And what do you think about how he finally took her down? I want to say a little disappointing, but the way she crashes through all the windows and everything, that was pretty cool, too, though. (laughs) Yeah, I really did like that scene. He gets her. He shoots her. we, We get the understanding that he... And when he can get a second to line up the shot, he's a good shot. And he takes her down. And it is a beautiful scene how she crashes kind of slowly through multiple panes of glass. And it's blood and glass shards. And just she's wearing that kind of plastic raincoat kind of a thing. Right. <laughs> well, it's not it's not about covering up the clothes. It's about, you know, protecting you from the rain. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think she had on like a kind of like a Mad Max sort of. She, she was wearing a literal bra, breastplate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, it did kind of resemble Tina Turner's outfit in Mad Max. Where yeah, like yeah. the bra thing. It, now that I, I thought of it, yeah. I was thinking more like like the He-Man armor. And it, it like went oh, on yeah. like a plastic piece of He-Man armor. It's just, you know, like yeah. it just kind of went over her body and just sat there. It's, yeah. <laughs> 
It's fantastic. Kind of like the kind of like the glasses that uh, Morpheus wears in um, yeah, just just, just the sitting Matrix. on the bridge of the nose. <laughs> yeah, sitting on the bridge of something else. Um. We, we have not. We didn't talk about how this was supposed to be set in 2019. <laughs> totally did not make the flying cars no no happen. this is again i think it started off and i was re-watching with my wife and i may have made the comment where are my flying cars where exactly. are my flying cars this is this was said in 2019 we are in 2021 <sighs> there are people and i, I love blame. how because i've actually been to uh union station mm-hmm. in los angeles and that hasn't changed that was the poli- that was the well i guess it has because it was the police station in the movie but still i'm like i recognize those chairs but somehow that hasn't changed in the future either. But Yeah, well, that can be understandable. I just want my flying cars. Yeah, 2019, we didn't get that. They hover and fly. I mean, they, they hover and fly. Very, again, fifth element. Very fifth element. In the beginning of the movie, when we are introduced to the flying cars and the fact that this is 2019, we are introduced to Leon. And he is, well, let's see here. How would you describe Leon? The replicant. Cocky? <laughs> I would I would say low on intelligence. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> uh, what, is, what does he say? I wrote it down. Let me tell you about my mother. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you about my mother. That apparently, don't talk about the boy's mama. Because <laughs> no. you're going to get shot underneath the table. <laughs> uh, so, Brian James, who is, I've seen him in numerous things, numerous things. Very much yes. a character actor. He plays kind of the strong, dumb one. He's following along. Roy Roy. Batty is definitely in charge. This guy is the one who's a little slow. Mm-hmm. He's the muscle. Yeah, he's the muscle. At the very beginning, he gets brought in and running through this Voight Kampf test, and he is starting to fail it badly, and he recognizes that. So <laughs> he's like, his, answer is, his answer is to shoot the test taker in a bloody, bloody shot. It kind of wakes you up at the start of the movie saying, oh, yeah, hello. Yeah, blew him through a whole wall and everything, yep. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think about his character as we kind of go on? I mean, because he's he's also the one that leads his mistakes are the ones that lead Decker to find everybody else. Apparently, I didn't think much about it because I don't remember him in anything else other than that first scene. <laughs> well, he had a couple more scenes. Uh, he did go up against Decker at one point in time, and Decker ended up uh, taking him down. Yeah, his his scenes are not the most recognizable or enjoyable yeah i guess because there were just there were so many other scenes that overpowered it like with daryl hannah and joanna cassidy and Rutger mm-hmm. Hauer. their scenes are just they're too over the top to remember leon sorry leon <laughs> i'm sorry even james hong lopan i mean <laughs> as soon as i saw him i'm like oh my god it's him it's- the one thing we can say about Leon's scene is Leon is about to kill Deckard, but it's Rachel that shoots him. Uh, she's the one that shoots him in that one scene, which, of course, she is now a Blade Runner herself because she's out there killing other replicants. And she has to try to deal with that as well. That leads to the scene that we talked about earlier with, between right. Deckard and Rachel. <laughs> He's probably the slightest one, but let's go ahead and talk about Daryl Hannah as Pris. Bad wig. That wig, wig was awful. <laughs> wig was so awful. But anyway, I mean, you know, she was supposed to look odd, but yeah. she actually, I'm not a huge Daryl Hannah fan, but I mean, I think she did a very good job for that character. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause she was supposed to be kind of, I, mean, I don't want to label her crazy, but she was supposed to be a little eccentric. Is that a yes. better word? <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of part of the act that she was going on in trying to seduce J.F. Sebastian, played by William Sanderson. Who I love. 
He's good. He's really good in this. He he's the designer. He he designs a lot of the components that are used in the replicants. And he's he lives a simple life with the toys that he creates, and he finds, in air quotes, Pris outside of his door, and he's nice to her and he's kind to her, and she uses him. Yes. Her and Roy Batty use him. She had one job, and that was to to seduce and lull JF Sebastian, and she does it very well, I think. Yes. Um, her scenes, she has some more scenes that she has with uh, Deckard where they fight. Those scenes get a little wacky and crazy, but what do you think about the entire stunts and and just how she, her style of fighting, I guess you would call it, against Deckard? I want to say very street, very tribal, very not taught or trained. Mm-hmm. Is that, I don't know if I'm describing you, yeah, myself. I think it uses her uh, athletics and uses uses a lot of flips and her, she uses her woman wiles as part She's got some strong thighs. Very strong thighs. Very <laughs> strong thighs. Which I think they use later on in the James Bond film if I remember correctly. Yes, they do. <laughs> that of course brings us to the Amazing Rutger Hauer as Roy Batty. I love him so much. <laughs> and how about this role? This is a little bit different than the roles you normally see him in. Well, he was, I mean, my other favorite role of his is The Hitcher, and he was a bad guy in that, too. Well, yeah. I, te- I mean, can we call him a bad guy? I mean, he's... That's an interesting question. Would you think, do you think Roy Batty is a bad guy? N- I guess no. He's trying to survive. Mm-hmm. He's doing what he needs to try to prolong his life. Well, that's an interesting question then. While I do agree with that, at what point does his wants and needs supersede other people? Because he does kill both J.F. Sebastian and Eldon Tyrell. True. Which I did, I meant to mention, I did giggle when I saw the name of the company. I'm like, oh, Tyrell Corporation? Are there some Lannisters in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, side note. No, no, that's Um, okay. (laughs) No, you have a very valid point. And yes, I do agree. It probably comes down to bitterness on his part as well of how Mm -hmm. he's been treated in the beginning, how it says, you know, they're treated as slaves. You know, they were built to be slaves. So, And they're built to live fast and die young. Right. Yes. I wrote the quote down. The light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. There are some very fascinating dialogue and very interesting questions that are that are built into this as well. When we talk about amazing fights, we have this long, protracted fight between Roy and Rick, you know, Batty and Deckard. Just ranges all over the place. Deckard is outmatched and outclassed. Oh, 100%. And yet, Roy Batty doesn't kill him. Why? He taunts him. He teases him. He... He plays with him. What is your thought? I've got a thought, but what is your thought on why he does that and why he chooses to prolong the fight and spend the last few moments of the fight up on the roof dying in front of Deckard instead of killing him? Maybe it's as simple as he's trying to just change one person's perspective of what a replicant is and what they're here for or what they should be here for. I would agree with that. I th- and I think that that also leads into the theory that you had about, is he a good guy or a bad guy? I think he's definitely the protagonist of the film because he is the one that is going, that is moving the plot forward with the actions that him and his compatriots are doing. But he's also, he's also very sympathetic too by the end because right. he is realizing that, you know, he is dying and anything he does isn't going to make a difference. But if he can change this person and not kill him, maybe that is the difference that he needs to make. And he just needed to bring Deckard to the point where Deckard would listen. And that's maybe all he, that was his goal, mm-hmm. was to just have one person listen and understand 
then have that person go and be his champion yeah. and tell everyone else. Then you have Deckard going back to his apartment and making the choice to run away with Rachel and try to live. You know, you're thinking you have to kind of assign your own feelings. But you, they're going to run. And they're right. going to try to live. Because that was another thing that happens throughout this. When Rachel leaves, then it's like, oh, you're not hunting four replicants. You're hunting five now. Mm-hmm. What, what's your takeaway from the ending of the movie and how it and how it wrapped up? What were the questions you still had remaining? I really didn't. I mean, and I guess it's because I did not, I didn't know to look for the bigger question. I just kind of was taking the movie at face value. I didn't know to dig as deep as I should have. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and that's perfectly fine. Here's the interesting thing with a movie like this is I think that you can go in and you can take out anything you want out of this film. I've seen it a lot of times. I like to dig into movies like this. I like to just go nuts on it. My wife sat there with me the other night when we rewatched this and we got to the end and she started by saying, I think I've seen this before. And at the end, she's like, huh, that was a movie. And I'm like, I knew you wouldn't like it. I knew you hadn't (laughs) seen it before because if you had seen it, you would have remembered that you hated it. This is not your type of movie. Right. Because my wife likes to have, she wants to have a a resolution at the end. Uh, She doesn't like these open-ended question movies and she doesn't want to think about them. She's like, I no, I don't want to think about this. I just want to enjoy the movie and go on. I'm good with both. It depends on the kind of mood I'm in. I do like a bow put on the package. Mm-hmm. But then again, sometimes I like to be able to have discussions about, no, this is like we talked about Inception. I mean, yeah. that movie will forever be. Was it still a dream or was it not? And we're never going to know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's frustrating, but yet keeps dialogue open. So Yeah. And I think that's one of the good things that this movie does. I still have to sit down and watch the sequel for this. I, I need to watch the next Ooh, let's movie. Let's do a second podcast on that. I haven't mm-hmm. watched it. <laughs> I think we could. I think we definitely could. I've I done one should. already with Delvin. I think that we could definitely come back and we can do our own Blade Runner 2049 at some point in time. I think that sounds like a plan. My only problem with 2049 is it just took so long for it to come out. But <laughs> it, it still is enough time in, in there between, you know, it's 30 years from there, 30 years from. Mm-hmm. So it does make sense. A, it is a sequel, not a reboot, correct? It's a sequel, according to my knowledge of it. Okay. That it is a sequel. So I'd like to see it and I'd like to see how it ties together. I think this movie does keep things open and it asks questions. And it it's a fascinating thought exercise that, that I know that another a lot of other movies have gone through and talked about. AI did this. And that's the big one that comes to my mind right away, uh, especially with what is sentience, what is a real child, what is a robotic child, especially when you fill them full of emotions. But I think you were right from what the first thing says. This is a very, very beautiful movie to watch. And it's got some wonderful things that hold up very well. Is there anything that, is there any of those scene, beautiful scenes that you want to talk about before we go? The opening. I really loved the opening scene. The flying through the air or over the city, the walking through the streets. Like I said, the umbrellas drew my attention. And I made note of even the detail about there were two nuns walking mm-hmm. through the crowd and just the detail to their, obviously they've changed their uniforms <laughs> in the future, but even that was just stunning to me. It's a wonderful film. It's a beautiful film, but I think that we have one other question that we need to ask. And that ah. is how wonderful a film do you think it is? How many full bags of popcorn do you think you would give this film? If you had to choose between one through five, Five being the best, one being the worst. No halfsies here. You know the rules. I know, I know. I've thought about this and I'm like, nope, you can't give him half bags of popcorn, Kathy. I am going to give this. It's not perfect, so Mm -hmm. I can't give it a five. 
If I could give it a four and a half, I would. <laughs> so, but I'm going to give it a four, four full bags of popcorn. I think that is completely fair. I think that this one is still a five for me because I like, I, I can see some some flaws. I recognize that it's a little slower than a lot of things are today. And that's, that's probably why I didn't yeah. do the five. If, it, if there was a little bit more action for me, because, you know, again, I'm a fan of the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> As unbelievable as they are. So if it may have had a few, you know, maybe one or two more mm -hmm. big action scenes, then I, I possibly really could have given it a five. I, I think that it keeps in a five for me because I, I just see the significance of the movie and I like the questions that it challenges me to ask about it. But this is, again, is one of these things of I like films that people can disagree on and people can have a different way of looking at it. And I think that this film is great for that. It's something that has definitely inspired a lot of other things. Oh, it, has a, it has a vision and a view of the future, which we still use today. And we've seen a lot of other movies and a lot of other media. So Even one of the prequel Star Wars mm -hmm. has a little bit of that city scene flying through the air kind of look that Blade yeah. Runner has. So. Yeah, I agree. So, Kathy, if people want to come on to Twitter or come out there and ask you questions about what you think of Dreaming of Electric Sheep, can they do that anywhere? Absolutely. I am on Twitter at A-U-Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, 2418. I am on Instagram at Kathleen, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N, 424. I'm a Jeff Gordon fan. I have to explain that. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm even on Facebook at Kathleen Reed Bright. That's me. And if you want to hear her talk about other things, you can probably find her on other Longbox Crusade shows. She is trying to make her mark and show up as on many of them as possible. I She's am. even threatened <laughs> to read a comic book or two to try to show up on a on a comic book one too. So that's right. So leave reviews. Come on <laughs> Twitter and tell tell Longbox that you need more Kathy. In the mix. If you would like to talk to me on Twitter, you can do so at Emma Muckabout, or you can find me on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my bioengineered friend, Jeff Batty. <laughs> if you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com. Big thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this wonderfully futuristic attic of their headquarters to broadcast my show, and to all the Longbox Crusade members who help support us in our goal to find replicants to replace Jason. If you would like to help support this network, head on over to Patreon and search for The Longbox Crusade. Now, grab some popcorn and pull up a seat. We will be back soon with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. -E